We're very pleased to have with us Dr. Peter Kwevznewski. He is a Thomistic theologian, a liturgical scholar, and a choral composer. He's a graduate of Thomas Aquinas College and the Catholic University of America. He has taught at the International Theological Institute in Austria, the Franciscan University of Steubenville's Austria program. And he's also taught at Wyoming Catholic College, which he in fact helped to establish in 2006. He's a writer and speaker on traditional Catholicism known all around the world. He's an author of eight books. Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, thank you for joining us on the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you for having me. Let's start off, if we could. Can you give us, first of all, a short history of the manner or the way of receiving Holy Communion in the Church? Yes. Well, actually, the early centuries of the Church don't give us as full a picture as we would like to have. We have a lot of fragmentary evidence. It seems that there were a diverse there was a diversity of manners of receiving communion in the early centuries. Um, communion was received in the hand, but in a very reverent manner that I think we'll get to. It's not the way it's done today. Um, however, we also have evidence from Saint Ephraim the Syrian, from the liturgy of Saint James, from Saint Gregory the Great, and from some other fathers of the Church that communion was given in the mouth as well, um, and that the clergy were the ones who most properly communicated with their own hands. Um, we have a council, a regional council of Rouen in the year 878 that mandated communion in the mouth. Um, we have the canons of the Coptic Church uh, demanding that the, um, the they say the, the canons of the Coptic Church, God forbid that any of the pearls, by which they mean the consecrated fragments, should adhere to the fingers or fall to the ground. Um, and even St. Cyril of, of Jerusalem, who's often quoted as a proponent of communion in the hand, um, he says the fragments are more precious than gold dust, and that, you know, we would, we, would, we, sh we would sooner lose one of our own members than lose, you know, any fragment. Um, so there's a very heightened awareness early on of the awesomeness of the sacrament. And in fact, you know, not to, to get too ahead of, of myself here, but in fact, it's this growing sense of reverence that leads the church over time progressively to restrict and finally to abolish communion in the hand, um, except of course for the clergy, which is a different story for them. Um, but for the laity, um, by the time you get to the second millennium, by the time you reach the year 1000, communion in the mouth is universal. Uh, it, and in fact, that goes along with um, a decrease in communion under both kinds. So that is communion kneeling and on the tongue uh, is for the host, and the chalice then becomes more and more reserved just for the celebrating priest or bishop. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's just, and then basically for the second millennium of Catholic history, it's always communion on the tongue, in the mouth for the laity, um, out of honor for our Lord and in a spirit of adoration. So do you want me to talk at all about how that got reversed? Yeah, well, actually, what I, if you don't mind going a little bit more into that, because you mentioned uh, that it was... Uh, condemned? In, in what way was it condemned? Uh, you mentioned the Council of Rouen, I believe. Um, and how was that, and what did it even sound like? Well, the, the, as I understand it, the, um, the earliest records we have, they don't seem to be condemning mm -hmm. communion in the hand so much as enjoining or requiring communion in the mouth as mm -hmm. the more reverent way. Okay. Um, 
and and it, it it's it's actually remarkable how universal the practice is in the second millennium t- to the extent that it simply isn't discussed anymore. It's not a, it's not a topic of discussion, uh, and so what we're dealing with here is, in my opinion, a clear example of organic development. That is, the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit responding more and more appropriately to the gifts that she has received. Um, this is not to say that you know in the third or fourth century it was wrong for them to do things the way they did but they hadn't yet arrived at the most reverent and the and the safest and the most efficient way of giving communion we, we also just have to bear in mind a practical question which is uh, that there were far fewer communicants in the earlier in the early church as the church grew and spread and there were more and more faithful um, the question arose, how are we going to give communion to so many people? Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, as anyone who's been to a Mass nowadays can, can testify, uh, a traditional Latin Mass, for example, where all the faithful are lined up along a communion rail, kneeling, and the priest, you know, is, is going right along and giving communion to each one in turn. It's a much more efficient way of giving communion, in addition to being uh, safer and more reverent. Right, right. So... Since the church has been doing this for a thousand years, it, it comes to basically from, you were mentioning, I think, Council of Rennes is around 650, but you mentioned by the time a thousand comes along, no one's doing this. Um, and yet in 1969, we have this come back for the first time uh, since 650 or, or slightly thereafter. How did this even happen? Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a it's a very sad story. Um, it's told very well by a bishop named Juan Rodolfo Laiz. He wrote a book on the history of Holy Communion and the manner of giving it, um, and he basically documents in detail. It's a case of of really rank disobedience uh, because the church had a clear policy about what was to be done, um, even into the 1960s. But there were already priests who were experimenting, you know how the 60s were, it was, you know, experimentation uh, in every direction. Um, And so there were priests who unauthorized were giving communion in the hand. Um, There were bishops' conferences that were agitating for it. Um, This is all happening in, you know, towards the end of the 1960s. Um, And what's most surprising, I think, to people um, is that initially Paul VI, who favored, tended to favor liturgical change on a huge scale, that he initially opposed communion in the hand, um, and in fact opposed it very strongly. Um, he, he sent out a questionnaire to all the bishops in the world in, uh, I believe the questionnaire was in 1968, asking them, should the traditional manner, namely kneeling and on the tongue, be uh, retained? Um, and should we allow communion in the hand. And the overwhelming majority of bishops responded, yes, we should retain the traditional manner. No, the communion in hand should not be allowed. And those results, the actual vote numbers were published uh, mm. along with the um, rationale for the traditional practice in a 1969 instruction called Memoriale Domini, which was initiated by Paul VI and approved by him. It actually came out from the Sacred Congregation for Divine Worship. Um, but if you don't mind, I just want to read this this uh, section from Memoriale Domini. It's a remarkable document. Um, it says, in view of the state of the church as a whole today, this manner of distributing Holy Communion, the traditional manner, must be observed. The Latin could also be translated preserved, not only because it rests upon a tradition of many centuries, but especially because it is a sign of the reference of the faithful toward the Eucharist. Hmm. 
The practice in no way detracts from the personal dignity of those who approach this great sacrament. It, you see, there were some people who were saying it's not dignified hmm. to get down on your knees and act like a slave or a servant, right? But this document is saying, no, it doesn't detract from dignity. It goes on, and it is a part of the preparation needed for the most fruitful reception of the Lord's body. Hmm. This reverence is a sign of Holy Communion being not in common bread and drink, but in the body and blood of the Lord. Hmm. And it goes on, in addition, this manner of communicating, which is now to be considered as prescribed by custom, gives more effective assurance that Holy Communion will be distributed with the appropriate reverence, decorum, and dignity that any danger of profaning the Eucharistic species in which the whole and entire Christ, God and man, is substantially contained and permanently present in a unique way, will be avoided. And finally, that the diligent care which the Church has always commended for the very fragments of the consecrated bread will be maintained." Mm -hmm. So that's Memoriale Domini, 1969, initiated and approved by Paul VI. Um, the weird thing is that in the same document, after laying this out and giving the results of the vote and saying it should be retained, then Paul VI says, nevertheless, since there are some places in the world where communion in the hand has already been introduced, in order to regulate it better, the Episcopal conferences are allowed to permit it, but under certain conditions. Hmm. So it's, a, it's an odd document because it, it really persuades you, you know, rhetorically as you're going through that, you know, we should keep this traditional manner. And then it says, but the Episcopal conferences can decide otherwise. And hmm. unfortunately, we've seen that kind of problem before in the 60s, 70s, um, even more recently with Amoris Letizia. We've seen that a lot of hot button issues are just um, pushed off to the bishops' conferences, you know, almost like, uh, you know, passing the buck or something like that. So... Um, that's that's an unfortunate tension or even contradiction within this document. Um, how, however, it does say there there's a condition for giving communion on the hand, memorial memorial domini, and it says um, it cannot be done if there is and this is a quote now any possible lack of reverence or false ideas about the Eucharist engendered in the attitudes of the people. Unquote. Mm. So it seems like maybe Paul VI was thinking naively that this change could somehow happen without lessening reverence and devotion, without lessening the faith of the people in the real presence. Um, but he was wrong. I mean, we know factually that he was wrong. If we look in retrospect, hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, I would say they should have known back then if they were thinking it through that this would have profound consequences. But nevertheless, now it can't be denied that there have been these profound consequences. And so as far as this document is concerned, we should not be giving communion in the hand anymore because just the problems that he pointed to have happened. Right, right. One of the, one of the I guess, powerful arguments uh, that seems to come from those who promote communion in the hand is that this is a restoration of a legitimate ancient Christian practice, and therefore, why can't we do it? Aren't we getting back to the roots? What do you respond? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this is a problem that Pope Pius XII dealt with in his um, 1947 encyclical Mediatro Dei on the Euch on the Sacred Liturgy, where he um, defined an error that he called false antiquarianism, hmm. and then condemned it. So he said, he said. It's, it's a mistake to try to restore later in the church's history practices that occurred much earlier on because it was not without the guidance of the Holy Spirit that the church developed in the way that she did. 
So mm-hmm. if you and and then he he goes on to say, you know, this is it's a it's dangerous. Um, for example, he well, he gives these examples, right? It would be dangerous to turn the priest around and have him facing the people. Yep. It would be it would be wrong to get rid of black as a color for liturgical vestments. <laughs> you know, he gives these various examples, which unfortunately all came to pass yeah. um, only about you know fifteen or twenty years later. Yeah. Right. Um, but he says this would be a mistake because the church does, in fact, um, deepen her understanding. You know, the, the the liturgy doesn't stop developing in the fifth or the sixth century. It doesn't. Um, neither does the piety of the Christian people, nor the theology. You know, when you look at the Council of Trent in the 16th century, it is one of the most magnificent expositions of Catholic doctrine. And there are things that are clarified in the Council of Trent that were unclear prior to that council, you know, for 1500 years. So we have to, um, basically, if we disagree with Pius Twelfth on that point, we will end up saying with the Protestants, that the church got corrupted, that, 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 that for many centuries, the dark ages, the church went off the rails, you know, like a, like a careening train that just flew off the rails. And if we want the authentic Christian church, we have to go back to the apostles or at least to the apostolic period. That's a Protestant error. It's a, it's a characteristically Protestant error, something that Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Melanchthon and all these people said. And lo and behold, there were some liturgical reformers in the 20th century saying exactly the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. what the church did in the Middle Ages, you know, we have to get, we have to, to, to go back before that because somehow that's corrupt. Right, right. So, oh, but it, you did you did bring up this question though the ancient manner. I did want to comment that mm-hmm. the ancient manner of receiving the hand was much different, and it would look today much more reverent than what is done in the Novus Ordo. Um, that is to say, uh, it's clear from the patristic description that um, you you wouldn't you you don't stick your left hand uh, uh, over your right hand and then and then feed yourself with the right hand. That's how it's done nowadays. In the patristic period, the um, the right hand was placed forward because the right hand you always re- would receive in the right hand, never in the left hand. The left hand signifies, uh, you know, sin and the devil, right? And so, um, and then once the, the, the holy bread was placed in your hand, you bowed down and took it up with your mouth. You licked, you licked it up with your, which is you still, you still see this in Byzantine liturgy, the priests, when they're cleaning afterwards, they're licking their fingers, right? So you would, you would bow down in adoration take it in with your mouth and then lick your hand to make sure there were no mm. particles there, right? I mean, and sometimes we even have records that sometimes a cloth was used. So a cloth would be put in your hands, the holy bread placed on the cloth, and then you would bow down and receive it. And that way, whatever fragments might be there would be retained in the cloth, which would be held by acolytes. So mm-hmm. there, are, there are ways, at least theoretically, that communion in the hand could be much more, could be a sign of reverence, it could be done without danger or without as much danger. But even so, the church decided to stop doing it, you know? And what we're doing now bears very little resemblance to what I just described. Wow. So, okay, run it down first then. What are then the basic problems with communion in the hand? Yeah, so number one problem, um, and for me, you know, I, I come back to this on so many different topics, it's contrary to at least a thousand years of tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Council of Rouen that I mentioned before was 878. Mm-hmm. It's not an ecumenical council, it's a regional council, but it's indicative of the thinking and of the practice. Right. So for at least a thousand years, Catholics have seen fit, uh, the church has seen fit to give communion in this manner. That's not accidental. That's not, um, uh, that's not some kind of mistake or chance mm-hmm. event. 
that has everything to do with with the church's growing faith, especially in the Middle Ages, when the first heretics rose up who denied the real presence, right? Mm -hmm. For the first thousand years of Christianity, nobody denied the real presence. Nobody. The heretics denied everything else, but nobody denied that. Um, uh, but, But once there were heretics actually denying the real presence, the church emphasized in every way she could, no, this is really the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and his soul and divinity. So we should do everything in our power not just spiritually to be to be ready to receive you know not to be in a state of sin mm-hmm. but also physically with our bodies we should show that we adore um, the word made flesh in mm-hmm. in the blessed sacrament and that's why it's not just kneeling uh, and receiving communion on the tongue that developed in the early middle ages but it's also all the genuflections that priests do during the liturgy during the traditional latin mass um, many of those developed in the middle ages precisely for the same reason right we're going to affirm over and over and over again our faith in uh the word made flesh um present on the altar uh so yeah um that's the number one problem. Mm-hmm. The number two problem is a practical problem, and that is particles are lost, in fact. When communion is, is given in the hand, and this research has been done to show this, there's an article that you can find online from the Latin Mass magazine from many years ago, where somebody did experiments using black gloves uh, so that it would be very obvious where the particles were. Um, and, you know, you can also, I mean, th- this is, it's not hard to understand that if you put a host in someone's hand, especially some of the hosts are a bit crumbly and sometimes the whole wheat ones, you know, they're not as compact as the old hosts used to be, the traditional hosts used to be. Um, it's not surprising that there are little crumbs, you know, that might mm-hmm. remain and then fall onto the floor, you know, and, and be scattered. And this is something the church fathers held, beheld with horror. I mean, they, they would never have tolerated anything like that. Um, and in fact, that's, you know, that's exactly one of the conditions that uh, the church lays down, redemptione sacramentum. If there's a risk of profanation, holy communion should not be given in the hand to the faithful. Hmm. That's what redemptione sacramentum says. Well, frankly, there's always a risk of profanation if it's given in the hand, um, hmm. you know, even if just because of what I was describing. So this, this seems to be a very basic problem. Um, and that's why if you look at the traditional liturgy, you know, the, the rubrics governing how the priest um, cleans off the paten and how he cleans the corporal on the altar it's all very detailed and very thorough because we don't want to lose one pearl as saint ephraim the the syrian says right we don't want to lose anything so our manner of giving now when you give a host on, on the tongue to someone kneeling that danger is almost completely removed and there's also by the rubrics supposed to be a paten a hand paten or a chin paten placed underneath so that if there were a fragment to fall, it would fall right onto the patent, and then the yeah. priest cleans the patent. So the church has thought of everything um, mm-hmm. in, in this practice, leaves nothing to chance, right? Yeah. Um, okay, other problems. Communion in the hand, especially as we do it nowadays, and standing up, it lessens reverence for the Lord. You know, when the Magi got to the manger, they didn't just stand around and pass gifts like they were at some kind of convention or whatever. They got down on their knees. That's what it says in scripture, right? When, when the, you know, in the gospels, when people come up to our Lord to be healed, they fall on their knees. You know, when Peter says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, right? He's, you know, he's on his knees. I mean, it's the most obvious and the most natural sign of adoration and reverence that we have. And that's why 
you know, even in the Novus Ordo Mass, we're kneeling during the Eucharistic prayer. Why are we doing that? <laughs> and then we don't kneel for communion when we go up to our Lord, the most sacred moment for us, you know, the most, we're coming into contact with the Lord. Um, so, it, it, there's a real incoherence there to sometimes mm -hmm. kneeling, but then not kneeling for that. The traditional practice was consistent, was perfectly yeah. consistent. Um, then, I mean, I think we can see in connection with all of this, it lessens belief in the real presence, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if, if you really believe that our Lord is present, then you're not going to treat it like ordinary, like a, like a cracker or like a wafer or something like that. Yeah. I mean, this is like a bus ticket, you know? You can't imagine that. Um, and the fact, you know, that we don't show our reverence or that we treat it this, in this common and familiar way um, is, is, is borne out in the surveys and the, you know, the various polls that have been done showing how even Catholics who go to Mass don't believe in transubstantiation anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I think that communion standing and in the hand, you know, bears a lot of the blame for that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, let me just mention one other thing. It lessens our awareness of the dignity of the ordained priesthood as well. Mm -hmm. Because the ordained priest, he's ordained to offer sacrifice, but also to convey the sacraments to the faithful. So St. Thomas says it belongs to the same one to consecrate and to distribute the Eucharist. Um, his hands, the priest's hands, are anointed with sacred chrism in the ordination rites so that he can worthily handle the body of Christ. Um, the faithful's hands are never consecrated that way. Right? That's not, that's not something that, uh, that, you know, we're not set apart for the service of the Eucharist in the same way. So it's, it actually, to have lay people receiving in the hand, just in a way, it sends the subtle message of equalization, a kind of egalitarianism between mm -hmm. the faithful and the priest. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily formulate that in words, but it has definitely lessened the respect and the honor that we owe to the priest. I mean, if the lay people can distribute then, you know, why, I mean, you know what I mean? It just introduces all kinds of confusion about what, why is the priest special? What is his role? Right, right. So after saying all this, are, is it true then that communion in the hand is actually wrong, like even sinful uh, for the faithful to receive that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would answer this question um, by, by first saying that the church clearly stipulated conditions as, I, as we discussed before, there are conditions for yeah. if you're going to do communion in the hand, these things have to be in place. And the two conditions, just to reiterate, are any possible lack of reverence or false ideas about the Eucharist cannot be engendered in the people. And if there's a risk of profanation, Holy Communion should not be given in the hand. I would say those conditions are never met. Usually both of them are not met. Almost, I mean, universally, neither one is met. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of the time, neither, you know, both of them are, um, are flagrantly violated. And so I would say it's wrong, you know, on a, on a legalistic level, it's wrong because we can't fulfill those conditions. Mm -hmm. Those conditions were set down, um, I think somewhat naively, but they were set down. And now we can look back and say, yeah, that's true. We can't actually fulfill these conditions. Um, but then in terms of our particular situation now, if we can't, if, if we come to see in the year 2020, how much damage this has done to faith in the real presence, to the adoration we, we should give to our Lord, to the dignity of the priesthood, um, that it allows Satanists access to hosts, right? If we, could, if we know these things, and it's not difficult to know them, then it would be wrong to receive in the hand because you would just be augmenting the problem. You'd be contributing to it. You'd be saying, I agree with this. I consent to this. You know, yes, it should keep happening this way. 
And I think, no, I think that's wrong. So in my conscience right now, just speaking for myself, Dr. Krasinski, um, I could not receive in the hand. I would feel like it was sinful to receive in the hand. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd be exactly the same. And not, not only that, I, I wonder, though, that has to be parsed a little bit because of the, um, you know, the, the faithful are being told they should receive this way. And some of them told, especially now during the coronavirus pandemic, they may not receive any other way. They'd have to just make a spiritual Holy Communion and that this is right and good. So for those people who don't know, is it still a sin? And if it is on the part of the bishop or, or the priest, is it a sin for them? Yeah, yeah, I think so. This, these are obviously getting to some much more controversial mm -hmm. topics. And I, you know, I'm going to say what I think is the case, um, although, you know, somebody might be able to refute me on this. Um, I think that the bishops, many bishops are abusing their authority right now because their authority, first of all, they're supposed to uphold canon law. And canon law is really clear that um, the faithful have the right to receive communion on the tongue. That's, mm -hmm. that's spelled out without any exceptions. Uh, as long as the faithful are properly disposed to receive the sacraments, they cannot be denied the sacraments. Um, and, uh, you know, the, when bishops invoke the canon about, you know, a bishop can decide how the rights of the faithful are to be, um, uh, you know, exercised, there is a canon that says that. It's not a blanket statement. I mean, the bishop can't tell me that I'm not allowed to get married or that I have to become a monk or something like that. I mean, that's, those are my rights, but he can't determine the exercise of those rights. So that's a general statement, but it, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, without a clarification, it wouldn't apply in this case. The, the default position is that the faithful should be able to receive on the tongue. Mm -hmm. um, but more deeply than that, I think what this coronavirus is bringing out is a real crisis in the, the, the faith of the bishops in the real presence of our Lord and in the reverence and adoration we owe him. Um, why do I say that? Because they've been acting for months as if physical health is the highest good, as if it's the sumum bonum. The number one thing we have to do is to protect ourselves from the coronavirus. And therefore, how we treat the Eucharist should be dictated by preventing the coronavirus. I mean, mm. that, that's such a backwards way of thinking. It's completely upside down. And it sends to the faithful, I mean, you know this, I'm just, you know, I'm t telling you things you already know, but th this, you know, it sends to the faithful that the signal that, you know, this sacrament is kind of a means to some end uh, that the church gets to determine. It's not God himself, the end, the ultimate good, but it's just one more um, you know, negotiable item in Catholic life, uh, like a parking spot or, you know, I mean, it's, in a certain sense, it's like saying mass is a non-essential service, right? Hmm. Um, you know, you know, the groceries are essential, food for your body is essential, but food for your soul is not essential. That's mm -hmm. the message that's been sent. And similarly, you know, well, the Blessed Sacrament, yes, it's a very special thing. It's a really important symbol for us, but it's not Almighty God, and therefore it takes second place to physical health. Right. So I think that this this is a terrible message to be sending. And it's wrong for that reason. It's it's wrong for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, reverence is more important than it. And it, there's a paradox here, right? The faithful, they're hungry for the Blessed Sacrament. They, they desperately want to receive. They want to go back to Mass. I feel the same way. I've been able to go back to Mass and, and communion. Thanks be to God. Um, but we should never place our own private good over the common good of the church and over the homage and worship that we owe to God. I mean, even if that meant sacrificing reception of communion, I think it's more important to, I think we, we will actually merit more in the sight of our Lord if we 
if we defend his right to be treated with due honor than if we insist I have to receive at any cost and I'll do whatever they tell me to do. Right, right. So just to make that point clear, is it then the case that a bishop cannot really refuse uh, or forbid Holy Communion on the tongue? Yes, that's that's my position. And I, I've tried to document that. Um, I, I've got an article at 1 Peter 5 that, that, that gives all of the quotations from different Vatican documents that make it clear that this is not... Um, this is not just, uh, how should I put it? They make it clear that the normative and universal manner of reception is on the tongue. Mm-hmm. And that remains the case. That's never been changed. Um, the the communion in the hand is an exception. It's, it's, an, it's what's called an indult. It's a permission. Mm-hmm. It's a permission, in my opinion, that should never have been granted. But that's all it is. It's saying you don't have to do the universal norm. You can do this particular exceptional way. Mm-hmm. And so what bishops are doing is they're flipping that around and saying the universal norm now is communion in the hand and, you know, by exception or by permission on the tongue. That's just, mm-hmm. that's completely to invert all that the church documents have ever said about yeah. this. Subject. And that, that being said, they could, a bishop then could legitimately uh, forbid completely uh, communion on the hand. You're, are you saying, so on what basis? What are you could, saying? Could a bishop then forbid in his diocese communion on the hand. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's possible because that's only uh, a permission. Mm-hmm. It's a permission that has to be requested from the Vatican, and nobody needs to take advantage of a permission. In mm-hmm. fact, there have been a few bishops in the world. I, I, I forget, there was one most recently, I think in South America, yes. who, who actually said, in my diocese, we are only receiving on the tongue. Right. Um, that's just the, that's what we're doing. We're following the church's universal norm with no exceptions. Yeah. That's it's a quite different uh, situation. Right. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention about all of this is that it does seem to me important to recognize that it's, it's not just about communion on the tongue, but also communion on the tongue kneeling. The mm-hmm. kneeling part is very important mm-hmm. um, for this reason, that, you know, St. Augustine already way back, you know, in the sixth century, St. Augustine says, if we do not adore the Eucharist before we receive it, we sin. He said this. This is a, you know, uh, we would sin if we did not adore it. And so that's why technically on the books, even in the Novus Ordo, everyone is supposed to make a sign of adoration towards the Blessed Sacrament before they receive. Some people I've seen genuflect, some people bow, um, but they're supposed to make some kind of sign of adoration. If they don't do that, they're sinning. Now, they may not know. They may, they may be completely ignorant. Nobody's told, mm-hmm. taught them anything. So they might not be personally culpable, but it's objectively wrong not to show a sign of adoration towards, the, towards mm-hmm. our Lord, the sacrament. Now, kneeling was the traditional way of doing that, because when you get down on your knees, that's, that's why you're doing it. You're not, you know, you're not getting on your knees to propose to your, to your wife-to-be. You're getting down on your knees to worship God, and that's in the context of the church. We all understand that that's what it means. Um, but practically speaking, it's much easier for the priest to give communion to someone who's kneeling. Mm-hmm. Because the priest is standing and his hand is at just the right level to put the host on the tongue without any contact of the tongue. You know, I've been receiving this way for decades. And I think, you know, twice in 20 years have, have, have I ever noticed a priest's finger touch my tongue. It's a very safe way of giving communion. But that's because there's a perfect height relationship between the minister and the recipient. Mm-hmm. In the Novus Ordo, when people are queuing up in lines, um, you know, as if they're going to buy tickets, you know, bus tickets or something, um, 
there, there, there's actually a really weird relationship then between the, the dispenser and the recipient. Often the priest or the, or the minister is, is shorter than the one receiving and they have to reach up, if, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not really a, a safe way to do communion on the tongue. So if you're going to receive communion on the tongue, kneel, you got to mm-hmm. kneel. That's, that, that's what makes it work practically. Yeah. yeah. And also it's the sign of adoration that we owe. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So, there's this, also this thing about <clears throat> being unworthy to receive altogether, and people talk about, well, is is my tongue any more worthy than my hand? What's what's really the problem there? Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, I've heard that so many times, uh, and it, it's you know it's it's an absurd objection because um, yes, metaphysically speaking, every creature is unworthy of God. So, you know. That's why we say, Domine non sum dignus, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Right. And that's true. We're saying that even if we're in a state of grace, you know, even St. Thomas Aquinas says, Domine non sum dignus, right? Uh, and so it, it's not, but, but when we're talking about, um, we're talking about something else, we're talking about fittingness, about the way we show our humility and our love and our submission and our um, worship of the Lord. We want to show that in the best way we can, and in that sense, make ourselves more worthy. So, St. Thomas says a worthy communion means that you receive with lively faith and actual devotion. So, what he means is that you don't just go up by routine, you know, because everyone else is going up, and you just receive this thing because, you know, your parents are receiving it or your neighbors receiving it. You don't even know what it signifies. That would be without faith, right? We need to have real conscious faith that we're going to receive the Lord Jesus. And then actual devotion, meaning not just habitual devotion, like I was devout last week, or I'm mm-hmm. capable of being devout, but I'm actually, de- I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging myself right now to make acts of faith, hope, and charity, you know, and mm-hmm. asking the Lord, please, you know, sanctify me and cleanse me and transform me, right? So li- lively faith, actual devotion, that's what we need for a worthy communion. So in that sense, we can have a worthy communion or an unworthy communion. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing about the tongue, this is very interesting. Um, the traditional rite of baptism, the one that was used in the church from ancient times all the way until 1970 or so when it was changed, and, and changed horribly, I would say, but that's another conversation. We'll have to have another time. But in the traditional rite of baptism, the priest blesses and exercises some salt, uh, which, as you know, blessed salt is used in the making of, of traditional holy water, uh, and it's also used by exorcists as well. So he blesses the salt, and then he puts a little of the salt into the mouth of the child or the or the adult being baptized, and he says, receive the salt of wisdom, may it be unto thee a sign of reconciliation unto life everlasting. Amen. And then he prays this, God of our fathers, O God, thou source of all truth, I'm reading from the Rituale Romanum here, um, Humbly we implore thee to look with mercy upon this thy servant, and no more let him hunger who now tastes this first nourishment of salt, but let him be enriched with heavenly food, so that he may ever be inflamed with zeal, joyous in hope, constant in serving thee. We bid thee, Lord, lead him to the bath where one is born anew, that in the company of thy faithful he may deserve to win the everlasting reward which thou hast promised, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so the meaning of that in the rite itself is that the tongue is being blessed for the eventual reception of the bread of life. And so again, if you're if you're baptized in the traditional rite, your tongue is blessed so that it may properly receive the host. 
just as in the rite of ordination, the priest's hands are properly blessed and consecrated so that he may handle it. Hmm. Um, and this is very important. I mean, just the, the lex orandi of the church said, yes, there's a difference. We're going to bless. Just like the church also consecrates patents because the host will be put on them, so she blesses the tongue of the, of the one being baptized. So I th in a way that's, you know, it seems to me that we have to throw that argument right back in people's faces and say, no, the church for almost 2000 years blessed the tongue for this reason. You know? yeah. Yeah. One of the arguments that's being made now, though, is that in times of this pandemic, we need to do this because communion on the tongue is far less hygienic, uh, say the bishops, than, uh, you know, than communion in hand. And uh, therefore, we have to do it this way. Uh, how do you even respond to that? Right. Well, I guess, I mean, the, I, I responded earlier on the theoretical level that we shouldn't make health into our God mm -hmm. and we shouldn't make um, human life, this mortal life, into the ultimate um, standard of every decision we make. Um, but, but practically speaking, um, there are people who disagree, experts who disagree with that, that claim about communion on the tongue being less hygienic. Mm -hmm. um, I, as you know, there have been a number of doctors of medicine as well as bishops who've come out and said, you know, it's no, it's no less hygienic to give properly onto the tongue than to put the host in someone's hand. Um, a hand, you know, our hands are quite dirty. I mean, let's face it. That's why they're always telling us to wash them, you know, wash them all the time. <laughs> well, that's because you can hardly live for 15 minutes without getting germs on your hands from somewhere, right? Um, and I mean, I wouldn't, I won't even go into some of the studies that have been done about how dirty things are that people are touching, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not at all convinced, especially if a priest or another minister, his hand comes into contact with the communicant's hand, which often happens, unless you're going to drop the host and what kind of absurd idea is that? But, um, or, you know, use machines or something like the Germans are doing. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff, irreverent, you know, um, unfitting, unworthy, mechanistic treatments of our Lord that are happening all because of this panic and craze. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's not more hygienic to, to give in the hand. And in fact, if a priest knows what he's doing and the people are kneeling, as I said before, it seems to be much more hygienic to give on the tongue. Because I've been, I've been going for 20 years. I've, let's see, probably more than 20 years at this point. Um, yeah, 25 years I've been receiving communion on the tongue without exception. And I think twice in that whole period have I ever actually felt, you know, the, the priest's finger. Um, you know, maybe he was clumsy, maybe I was being clumsy, whatever the case might have been. But that's a lot of communions, right? Whereas when I, at the time when I was receiving in the hand, at least I, I can remember growing up, there was constant contact happening. So I think it's absurd. I think people who are saying that they're, they've either been tricked by experts, they've let themselves be talked into it by experts, or, and I hate to make, you know, to sound like a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but I wouldn't put it past some prelates to be taking advantage of this situation to try to put an end to what they see as an undesirable resurgence of traditional practice. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, let's, we've seen that. We've seen that happen in different areas in different respects. So why not this one? Why not yeah. this one? funny my, my own uh, well a priest friend of mine said something very similar he said you know how for how many years he's been giving uh, holy communion on the tongue and he says you know he can count on his hand how many times he's touched the tongue of a of a parishioner but you know with communion on the hand it's every mass 
and and uh you know <laughs> he went on to describe in his bulletin that he's seen people do weird things with their hands in the church and receive holy communion with the same hand so i mean it it really is yeah, all over the place yeah, exactly. um exactly what advice do you have for catholics uh, in dioceses where the bishop has forbidden communion on the tongue yeah that's and that and that is extremely painful that's a that's a very painful cross to have to bear um i i think they, there are a few things they can do um the first thing is that they can try to find a priest who's willing outside of mass to give communion to them you know just as communion outside of the mass you know there's a there's a little ritual for it um it's permissible and uh you know that could be I mean, that's what, that's what I would start with first, because there are many priests out there who are fully aware of the problem of being forced to do this against their will and against the rights of the faithful. Um, but that may not be possible. It may not be possible to find a priest who's willing to do that. Um, so then I think another thing that could be done is, you know, is to, you know, just intensify your prayer life in other traditional ways, right? Embrace the rosary anew. Um, Pray some part of the divine office, whether that's prime or compline or lauds or vespers. Um, read the missal. You know, if, if you can't get to daily mass, take a take a traditional missal and just read the prayers. They're so rich, and you can make a spiritual communion that way, uh, a very um, heartfelt, earnest spiritual communion. The saints say that that can bring us as much grace as sacramental communion. It's not a long-term solution, right? right? Nobody is saying that we should all, you know, just do spiritual communion the rest of our life. But for a temporary solution, if we're going to do that, we should really prepare ourselves for it as well as possible. And, you know, like, for example, some people will light a couple of candles and they'll, you know, early in the morning, they'll pray through the prayers of the mass and they'll, you know, they'll make a spiritual communion and meditate. Um, so I think, I think we have to do what we can. Um, and then maybe once a month, they could drive someplace, you know, at, at different diocese or, uh, or a, a chapel or someplace that, that is actually giving communion um, on the tongue. So I think it's going to be like, uh, we're kind of in a battle. We're in a battle right now where the different dioceses are almost like in rivalry with each other because some, some have good policies and some have bad policies and some are confused. And, you know, and so it's, it's not... There, the idea of a monolithic Catholic church is not anymore the case. There's a lot of diversity right now. Uh, and, and so I think the lay people are becoming aware of this, you know, and instead of despairing about it or becoming angry, they should just take whatever concrete steps they can. Right. And when you are given the opportunity to go to Mass, attend in other words, uh, but n only receive on the hand, would you still go or maybe just watch it on TV since you're not receiving anyway? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. There's a huge benefit just to being present at Mass, assisting at Mass, as it used to be called. Um, and, you know, I, I've got an article about this, uh, one Peter five that might help people where it just it just it's, it's called there's nothing you can do to glorify God more than to assist at the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, even if you don't receive, because at that Mass, the Lord is being offered up in the all-pleasing, all-sufficient sacrifice, and we join ourselves spiritually with that sacrifice. In fact, it's by joining ourselves spiritually to it that we make ourselves ready to receive the sacrament. And so it's not necessary always to receive sacramentally. And as you, as I'm sure you know, in the history of the church, you know, sacramental reception, I mean, it's good to receive <clears throat> frequently if one is well-disposed, you know, with faith and devotion. But there have been long spans in church history where even saints have received once a week or less. 
Um, and so we, I think sometimes we can also use that almost Eucharistic fast to intensify our desire you know, to, to be united to the Lord right? and use it then to use it to purify our own motivations, but also to make reparation for profanations and sacrileges. Right? We can really offer this up and say, Lord, you know how much I want to receive you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to offer this up for, for you know, those who are committing sacrilege and profanation. Amen. Amen. Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, thank you for joining us on the John Henry Weston Show. Yes, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hello, this is John Henry Weston. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. There you will find all the past episodes and much more. Thanks again for watching, and may God bless you.